You're now experiencing data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm going to share my Pika framework with you. This is a framework for imagining AI use cases within your business or product. When I share the framework with you, it's going to be an excerpt from a keynote talk that I recently gave for a company called NetGuru. They're a, uh, a software consultancy in Europe, and they run an annual conference called Burning Minds. And uh, the framework was well received, so I decided to turn the excerpt of that talk into an episode for you. I want to reiterate here, or, or I guess iterate, you can't reiterate if you haven't said it yet, but while this framework is a creative exercise in solutioning uh, and coming up with solution ideas, there are steps that should precede this. My guess is that you would most likely implement this framework as part of like an ideation workshop, or sometimes I call them design jams. This is where we'd have a cross-functional team involved which especially should include non-data people in it, like customers and users, uh, if possible, as well as your, your your product people, if you have designers in there. And in fact, if you're lucky, you'd have a user experience professional in there to help facilitate something like this. So let's talk about the environment for a Pika workshop or design jam uh, before we actually get into the framework that you use to, to do this ideation. So if you have found UX design and research to be somewhat hand wavy or opaque or not really clear what that is, these types of activities are precisely the types of work that a lot of design and user experience professionals do on a daily basis, uh, particularly in large organizations. It's not all user interface design and data viz and UI type work. A lot of the work is facilitation of cross-functional teams. You're trying to facilitate the emergence of creativity. You're trying to make sure that teams are not getting bogged down in technical and implementation details during an ideation session like this and, and so forth. So after that little tangent, back, back to the steps here that precede doing uh, like a PICA ideation workshop. Uh, first off, you need to understand the organization, your organization's business objectives at a high level so that uh, after ideation, you can sort the resulting solution ideas that will come out the other end by business priority, or at least that's one of the axes to uh, consider amongst others like feasibility and dateability as as my past guest Nadim calls it, uh, level of effort, value potential, uh, etc. Um, however, note that I, I did not say that you should be discussing feasibility, dateability and implementation during this ideation phase. It's really important to take off implementation hats when entering the room. Uh, and, and highly technical staff, um, which I think should be part of these sessions, sometimes they need to be reminded about this so that you don't end up really rat-holing into what's possible to build or do we have access to the data and all these kinds of things during these sessions. And I understand that data, uh, data is such a foundational building block for data products, uh, but this actually isn't the time to, to go into that uh, in, in a session like this. Uh, the, the goal of an ideation session like this should probably be one thing, and that is generating a large volume of ideas. That's it. They don't need to be good ideas. 
They don't need to be feasible ideas. They just need to be a long list of ideas because there will be plenty of time to go into back into a reality check uh, situation, budget, timing, level of effort, all those other things we talked about. And don't be afraid to invite ChatGPT into the room to contribute as well. I mean, uh, it, it's a great tool for for furthering or expanding on lists of ideas that you may have already. But I think this is a great exercise for for humans to do as well. It really can exercise uh, people's creativity, especially people who maybe don't think they're creative. This can be a great way to do that because you're going to be probably responding to other people's ideas uh, during the session as well. And, and, and this is often how new new solutions to new uh, to problems uh, emerge. So uh, you might check out episode 106 with Jeremy Utley from the Stanford D School on this concept of idea flow. I really like his framing here about focusing on the volume of ideas and not on the quality of, of ideas, uh, particularly when you're in the early stages of trying to do something new. Secondly, as you think about this kind of pre-session work, there's the human part of your ideas. And, and, and this is where we stop talking about the business or the marketing team or the manufacturing department as an entity. And rather we get into specific human beings. So if you're, if you're regularly interfacing with your business sponsors and customers or end users, you'll probably come up with better solutions that are intentionally biased towards problems that they have. Now you could argue that that coming into this totally green will help some new ideas emerge. And, and that's probably true, especially if we are going for a volume of ideas. But at some point, if you were to move these into a prioritization stage or potential entry into the backlog to, to actually get some love from your, your development team, you'll, you'll definitely want to rank these in part on these human factors. So this can be things like change management, like how disruptive is the solution? And are you going to have to require multiple personas or, or roles within the organization to change how they play their games today? How do, how do they work today, potentially in ways they don't necessarily like, even if the solution is good for the for them in theory or good for the business? How usable does the team think they can make the solution such that it, it won't be abandoned or ignored because it there's some level of effort that may be required to use it? Um, and some of that is you you are projecting out into the future prior to actually designing or implementing any type of uh, real solution. Um, so whether you do this before or after your Pico workshop, this customer or user perspective is just really important to consider before you get into writing code and, and actually implementing anything. Anyhow, with all that said, here here's my excerpt from this keynote uh, where I really dive into this AI use case framework that I call Pika, and that's P-I-C-A-A. They're all capital letters except for the I, which is lowercase. And I'm going to explain why that is uh, during the session. There are some slides here. You don't really need to see them. I don't put a lot of text on my slides anyways when I give keynotes. And I'll have a short little wrap up at the end. So this was point six or, or big item number six in my keynote. So if you hear me mention the number six or something here, that's why you're, you're hearing that. So without further ado, here is the Pika framework. Number six here is Pika. Pika is my uh, framework for brainstorming machine learning use cases or reverse engineering them, starting with the tactic. First of all, I just want to say beware of this because this is kind of like saying, you know, 10 years ago, how could we use social, social aspects in our app? How can we gamify our app? How can we use JavaScript or Ajax in our app? This is a tactic in search of a problem. And this very much is, but I know that 
I don't think that's necessarily bad as long as we're able to, before we go into any implementation, we're able to make sure that our ideas that we generate with these tactics are actually attached to real business and user problems that are the right things to solve that someone actually wants to spend money solving. And we're not just trying stuff out unless you've got a big pile of money to do R&D and you, you want to kind of practice doing the stuff. That's great. But we should know, you know, especially if a client's paying for it, they should know, am, am I getting a solution to my problem or am I purchasing R&D work, which might yield an immediate business benefit or it may not, but they're aware of that risk. So with that said, let's jump into what Pika is. So Pika uh, is just a collection of verbs. And if we take these verbs and combine them with sentences like how might we, which we use in, in design thinking to generate ideas, we can come up with potential use cases for AI. So how might we predict X thing in this app and this customer's business so that they can get Y relief with some problem that they're having? And by generating a bunch of these as a team, ideally with a mixed set of skills, we can come up with potential places to use machine learning and AI to solve client problems. And I, I really like this as a, as a way to explore big picture stuff. And one of, one of the guests on my show talked about one of the ways he was doing this with clients was, how would this work on Star Trek? What would happen in Star Trek if we were to, to do, if we were to automate something or to use prediction or whatever it may be? And he didn't use the Pika framework necessarily, but I liked this framing of, of thinking big here. And so these bullets here, the predict, classify, augment, automate, prediction is fairly easy. We know, you know what these are. This is things like forecasting, like the weather, for example, next best action, simplifying uh, analytics. So um, instead of requiring users to make sense of lots of quantitative information, giving them a prediction based on uh, lots of different uh, parameters and data that's, that's in there. Classifiers are great for um, reducing tool time, so highly repetitive work, digital work. Um, this is a great uh, potential use for classifiers or doing recommendation engines, things like that. Clustering, I'm not really going to get into. This is, And this is why it's grayed out, but I, I did want to throw that in there in case you have a data scientist participating with you in this brainstorm. They might be able to do some brainstorming on that, but that really requires knowing a data set because by definition, you don't know what you're trying to do. You're trying to find patterns in the data that where we don't have a target in mind. And, and this is beyond the scope of, of this keynote to talk about that today. Augment here is one of the ones I really want you to think about, which is how do we make someone's life better with AI, not to completely automate a solution, but rather to assist somebody or augment their experience with AI. So think about like ChatGPT, for example, it's not that it's going to write the book for you, but it might generate ideas about, hey, what should my book contain? And give me some counter arguments to these chapters I've written with this advice I'm giving to salespeople or whatever. That's a form of augmented AI. And, and this is the kind that actually MIT Sloan reports that companies are, are five times more likely to actually end up generating value with AI by focusing on augmentative solutions uh, as opposed to fully automated ones. And, and with automation actually comes more risks as well. And, and there are times where automation is totally fine. Uh, but if we think about things like, um, you know, the 737 aircraft that had a problem with the, the MCAS system, they had uh, AI was, was manipulating aspects of the aircraft that the, the pilots really had no idea how that system worked. And there was no human override in that system. And this became a, 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 a real life uh, 
um, risk uh, for the passengers uh, and the pilots on that plane. Uh, in fact, there's a. I would like to point your attention to the AI incident database, which uh, my colleague Sean McGregor runs. He's uh, also been on my podcast. He's keeping track uh, of a list of major AI incidents that are out there. They're all classified by industry and domain companies and uh, specific companies. And you can imagine actually, you know, Facebook, Tesla, Google, these are the ones that have, tend to have the most citations of issues there. But this is a great way to think, to, to, to see what happens when we don't factor in all these human factors here. You end up in the New York Times and you end up having a news story written about it. And, and so this is why we have to look beyond just doing model development when we're doing AI work. Um, so four tips with Pika. Um, again, if you don't understand the business, uh, the, the, your customer's business and what they're trying to do with the software that they're creating or, or, or the data that they're trying to access, you're not going to find much value with Pika. You have to understand the business part. So being really tuned to what users are doing at your 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 client's uh, website or the applications you're using or literally the business uh, the, the stakeholders themselves if your clients are the users of your solutions you need to be really tuned into to, to the business side or, or you're not going to really come up with ideas that are going to click for them the second one here is that we need to generate a volume of use cases and ideas without judgment and so the idea here is there's actually a book called this called idea flow and and this is something I went over on episode 106 on my show with Jeremy Utley of the Stanford D School. And his one of his basic ideas with innovation is that you need to generate a high volume of ideas before you jump into any one potential solution. And so really this idea of divergent thinking and, and coming up with a wide, high volume set of ideas first. And so I think being able to do that, again, thinking about how would it work in Star Trek, thinking really big picture, it, it can be a really fun activity to do. And it's it's more likely to actually help us get more concrete on a specific solution that's actually more realistic because what you're able to bounce ideas off of each other and say, well, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't, you know, the data scientists might say, hey, that's really funny. Well, we're never going to be able to predict X, but, but actually on that topic of, of what you just said, we could predict Y over here. And the next thing you know, you're you're spinning up another conversation there, and and this is how uh, innovation tends to, to to happen there. So again, think uh, think about volume when you're using uh, this framework. The third one here is that a machine learning and AI win doesn't need to be at the scale of something like Chat ChatGPT to be successful. Um, a lot of machine learning and AI solutions may be quite small. So just imagine something like. Uh, a table, let's say you have a table of data that you, you have in the piece of software there, and it has hundreds or thousands of rows, and the user needs to be able to sort and look for the important ones. Imagine if there was a sort that was a smart sort, and it was powered by machine learning, and it said, you know, highest propensity to churn. So imagine like your, your churn model, right? You know, and you're, you're trying to show the salespeople which, which of our highest value customers are most likely to churn soon. Well, they may still want to be able to sort that table and look at those customers based on specific parameters, but the machine learning model may simply provide a sort, which is the smart sort, but it's the one based on the highest propensity for churn. So it, it may not have a ton of UI necessarily, but if that's able to you know, help the salespeople intervene with those customers quickly and to save some business there that might otherwise be lost, then that little small element of machine learning could be a really big win for the salesperson. So again, think really big, but when it comes time to execute, we want to show uh, small wins. 
And the final thing I'll say about Pika here, the final tip here is that human decision-making and highly repetitive digital tasks are, are really ripe for machine learning and AI. So turn your radar on for those, be, be really aware of where customers, uh, particularly your stakeholders might be using uh, guessing to make decisions, whether it's uh, frequently having to guess stuff uh, in their business or they're making high stakes decisions and they're they really kind of going on gut instinct. That's a place where data might be able to help. And it may be machine learning, it may not be, but that's a place where usually data could, could, um, could be brought in to assist with those decisions. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about this repetitive digital work. Anytime we're doing we're, you know, a, a, an app, let's, let's say like someone has to go in and like every time we get all the new clothes for the spring, you know, the spring fashion season, we have to go in and tag the price, the color, the the size, the category, all this kind of stuff. You know, and if a human being has to sit there and manually go through and do all that, that might be a place where machine learning could be more useful instead of swiping through a thousand products per day for the next 10 days, you know, tagging information. Again, machines are are, are generally better at those kinds of things. So again, PICA, P-I-C-A-A, there's one letter we didn't talk about, which is I. Uh, and, and if I was with you in person, I'd, I'd let you all guess what that is. But since we don't have talk back right now, I'm just going to tell you what it is. And it means ignore. And why do I have this in here? It's because I want to remind you that sometimes machine learning and AI aren't the solution. And so we need to always make sure that we're not putting the cart before the horse. And we're, we're always thinking about problem space first and not jumping into a, a solution that's in search of a problem. So again, the summary of the PICA framework, predict, ignore, classify, and cluster, augment, and automate. Okay, well, back to the studio here. I hope that the Pika framework sounds like a useful creative activity that your team can do, particularly if you're in the, the early stages of exploring AI or machine learning use cases uh, within your business. By the way, as one of your closing activities of a Pika workshop, you might also want to begin the discussion of what could go wrong, particularly from a human impact standpoint. And again, there's time to talk about what will go wrong with the data and, and all the technical factors and project management and all of that. But I'm really talking about the human factors here, right? So this is particularly true if you are going to be talking about solutions that have anything to do with your actual end customers, the people that actually pay your business money for whatever the products and services that your company creates. If they're gonna be affected by it, then it's really important to start thinking about this early. So this is things like, black mirror testing or abusability testing, red teams having a review board, thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion. Do we have the right people in the room when we're doing this activity? And for, for more on this, definitely check out uh, episode 55 of this show with Carol Smith. She's an uh, AI UX researcher. Uh, we jumped into some of these these concepts there, but it's it's a time to imagine where things could really go wrong. Uh, it, it can actually be a, a real fun exercise to do that because you're you're kind of putting your demon hat on and thinking about how are all the ways we could abuse this service or hurt a potential population. Uh, not that it's fun to hurt people, but just to kind of play the bad guy for a moment. But to, to really do that with an intention to make sure that you you don't rush something out the door that doesn't really consider the downstream impacts entirely. And this is why if you follow me on LinkedIn, you know, sometimes there's this discussion about we got to get business value from data and all this kind of stuff. And, and I agree, economic value is really important. But the, the second part is the value to the humans in the loop. And that may be economic in some ways, 
but we also have to be, especially with, with machine learning and AI, we need to be thinking about the kind of place we want to work in and the kind of place we want to live. The, what's the culture like? What's what's the impact, especially for some of these big solutions at scale? And and I know that a lot of teams aren't, they're not the Googles and the Amazons or whatever, even these giant Facebooks where the impacts of these uh, solutions can can affect you know a billion people. And, and I'm aware of that, but you don't know where you're going to work in the future. And part of my mission with my entire business was to help and really try to influence the practitioners that that make this awesome technology, particularly uh, AI. It's it's like magic for for a lot of consumers. But to do that in a human centered way and to really think like a designer and and build those solutions like a designer would uh, and, and have empathy and, and, and really not just consider the technical implement, implementation and whether or not it's possible to build the model or not. But what the effects and, and the benefits and consequences of are those of those solutions. So finally, I'm considering turning this into a workshop uh, to give to teams or maybe even creating a self-guided course so you can run it yourself. I don't know if that's interesting to you. If it is, I, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at brian at designingforanalytics.com. You can also just leave a message uh, anonymously or, or with your name at uh, designingforanalytics.com slash podcast. I take questions on the show there as well as comments and things like that. So until next time, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.